We'll just use that. That's fine. All right. I need a few volunteers. McKenna, you are a wonderful volunteer. Come on up. Stand right up here. Oliver. Hosanna. Hadassah, she's giving me the frightened look. Connor. Matthew, I, I need you. I need a good tall guy. You're going to be great for this. Anybody else want to be voluntold? Dan. Dan, you can't volunteer your wife. You need to come up here. I think this will be, I think this will be good. All right. Uh, if you would turn in your Bibles to Hebrews 9. Hebrews 9. We're going to have a, we're going to have a little bit of a visual illustration for the sermon. And we'll just follow along in Hebrews chapter 9. My volunteers, lovely assistants, thank you, McKenna, Connor, Matthew, and Dan. Thank you for volunteering. I kind of volunteered you, but thank you very much for being up here. All right, we are going to uh, continue our series this morning on Jesus being better, better than uh, a better covenant, a better promise. And this morning we're going to talk about Jesus being the better sacrifice. And to do this this morning, I want to have sort of a visualization of the tabernacle. And these are my lovely assistants, and they will assist me in the tabernacle. And our text this morning is going to guide us and remind us of everything that was in the tabernacle. Now, the sort of pop quiz of it is, is what was the tabernacle? And it's just a fancy word that means tent, right? And the tent was what the Israelites took with them to praise God, to worship God, to seek God. It was a symbol of God's presence. It was the way in which uh, the Israelites sought forgiveness, and it was how they worshiped. And so this is our tabernacle. Do you guys see it? All right. Well, we need a couple of things to help us along, and our text this morning will help us. Hebrews 9. Now the first covenant had regulations for worship and also an earthly sanctuary. So we're going to talk about the earthly sanctuary. This was a representation, a model for God's people of what Moses saw in heaven. And he said, okay, make an exact model. And we would get this in Exodus, but we'll just follow along here in our text. A tabernacle was set up. In the first room were the lampstand and the table with the consecrated bread. This was called the holy place. All right, so Connor... I'm going to have you be the front of our tabernacle, okay? I think you're good and you're about, well, no, no, hold on. We need Dan. Dan, you come around. We need, okay, so the, the tabernacle was a tent, and, uh, you know, I just grabbed Wendy's favorite sheet that she's really proud that we have, right? You know, the one you sort of hang on to uh, for all these years. Okay, so we're, we're doing like a sort of cross section, so I want you to stand, no, no. I want them to see, so I want you to be like that, okay? All right, so that is the front of the tabernacle. All right, there we are. Okay, now what else do we have? Now, McKenna, I think I need you. A tabernacle was set up in this room where the lampstand and the table. All right, so how does this, this looks like the lampstand, right? I took the bulb out because I don't trust you. Uh, so this is a lampstand. Now it would have been different. It would have, you've seen the lamps. They had those prongs coming up. Right? This is the lampstand. You are the lampstand, okay? And this is the bread, Sarah Lee, right? Okay. Now it would have been like a cylinder, and there would have been 12 of them 
and they would have been on the table. And looky there, we have the table, and here's the lampstand. You're a perfect lampstand. That's wonderful. All right. Now, what else do, do we have in here? It helps us out. This was called the holy place. So this section is the holy place. Matthew, you're up. All right. Now, we have uh, the curtain for the next part. All right. So you need to be good and tall. All right. Yeah, that's, that's about right. That's good. Okay. Now we have... Now, what does it tell us is in the most holy place? Behind the second curtain, second curtain is Matthew. Behind the second curtain was a room called the most holy place, which had the golden altar of incense and the gold ark, the gold-covered ark of the covenant. This ark contained the gold jar of manna, Aaron's staff that budded, and the stone tablets of the covenant. All right, so we need to have... Golden altar of incense. Uh, I don't have incense. You know, I didn't grow up in the 70s. So uh, there's that. And then also, we'll just set that behind you. Over here, it's chilling out in the room. And this is the Ark of the Covenant, obviously. I mean, all right. And then, let's see here. It says a little bit more details about the Ark of the Covenant in our text here. It says, which had the golden altar of incense and the gold-covered Ark of the Covenant this ark contained the gold jar of manna, Aaron's staff that had budded, and the stone tablets of the covenant. Above the ark were the cherubim of the glory, overshadowing the atonement cover. Okay, so this right here is the glory of the Lord shadowing over the covenant. I think we probably broke a law there. God will have to forgive us. All right, so it's overshadowing. And then what does he, all right, so he gets all of this, so the preacher's getting all of this set up, and then there's kind of like this like little joke at the end, but we cannot discuss these things in detail right now, which is good for you. Like, I mean, we don't really want to go into too much detail, right? So this is the holy place. Behind the second curtain is the most holy place. This is the Ark of the Covenant, and this symbolizes the presence of God. How's your arms doing? Are you hanging in there? Are you doing okay? You're the best lamp I've ever seen. All right. Now, every day the priests would go into the holy place and they would, they would offer up prayers, petitions. Before they ever went in, they had to offer up sacrifices. I forgot to bring an animal this morning. Um, my bad. Uh, probably beneficial for everyone that we didn't, right? And so they would offer a sacrifice. Now, where was the altar? Where would the altar have been? Was it that way, or was it over here? All right, we got fingers pointing over here, and you're right. Okay, you passed the Bible quiz. Now, the altar was where the sacrifice was made, and then they would take the blood, and they would sprinkle it all over. And I also decided to opt out of doing that as well, right? So they would have sprinkled blood on the on the outside, and they would have sprinkled blood throughout each of the rooms as they entered in. Once a year, on the Day of Atonement, in the Yom Kippur, they would go all the way in to the most holy place, and they would sprinkle the blood of the goat all around throughout. And this was a functioning sort of thing for them. This was how the Israelite community sought forgiveness. It's how they worshiped God. And that's what, uh, that's what the preacher is going to describe. All right, 
I think you guys can go sit down. Let's give a hand to our lovely, let's just set it right down right where it's at. That's perfect. You're not supposed to flip the, cov- the ark upside down, Connor. All right. We'll put it in a, in a special place. We'll put it up here. I think that'll, yeah, yeah, I think that shows proper reverence. Okay. All right, perfect. Okay. Let's continue in our text this morning. When everything had been arranged like this, the priest entered regularly, regularly into, the other, into the outer room to carry on their ministry. But only the high priest entered the inner room, and that only once a year, and never without blood, which he offered for himself and for the sins of the people, for the sins the people had committed in ignorance. In verse 8, the Holy Spirit was showing by this that the way into the most holy place had not yet been disclosed as long as the first tabernacle was still functioning. This is an illustration for the present time. So let's see, he was just saying, I want you to have this illustration. So I just took his illustration a step further because I could have read all of that and it would have been like, whatever. But now you have a little visualization. All right, this was an illustration for the present time, indicating that the gifts and sacrifices being offered were not able to clear the conscience of the worshiper. Now that's a big point right there. They were not able to clear the conscience of the worshiper. Everything that they did as a community, when they would come in and they would offer the sacrifices and they would go through all of these actions year after year, the guilt offering and the, and the, uh, the, the offering that they were making for their sins, it did nothing for their consciences. Do you have sin in your life that you still sort of think about and you've maybe kept it at bay for a while, but there are things in your life, there's things that you've said, things that you've done, and those things sort of circle back and remind you and they weigh heavy on your conscience. The whole setup that the Israelites had, the Hebrews preacher is saying is what they did here had nothing to do with cleansing their consciences and everything to do with just being pure before God from one year to the next. It did nothing for their hearts. And that was our sermon last week, was that God was making a new covenant for our hearts, that there was something inherently wrong with us in our minds, in our hearts, in our wills, and God is doing something again and doing something new and offering a new and better covenant in Christ. And so uh, the preacher is trying to help his congregation understand this, that this did nothing for their consciences as worshipers. These are only, verse 10, they are only a matter of food and drink and various ceremonial washings, external regulations applying until the time of the new order. This is just all outward washing. There's something that needs to happen within. Then in verse 11 he picks up, but when Christ came as a high priest of the good things that are now already here, He went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands. That is to say, is not a part of creation. Now, I know mine was silly, but theirs was serious. And what he was saying is, Christ didn't enter into the holy place 
on earth. He didn't enter into the most holy place on earth. He went into the most holy place in heaven. It wasn't an earthly made tabernacle. It was the heavenly tabernacle that Christ entered into. And he did not enter, verse 12, he did not enter by means of blood and of goats and of calves. But he entered the most holy place once and for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God? He didn't enter in through the earthly sanctuary. He enters all the way into the heavenly sanctuary through his blood and through his sacrifice so that you might worship the living God, that you might have new life, that you might have forgiveness. And the heart of the preacher is saying to his congregation and the people and the Hebrews preacher, he is saying, Christ has entered in. And I wanted to name this, series or this sermon once and for all. Once and for all time, once and for all people, Christ enters into the most holy place so that you can have true and genuine forgiveness of sins. That you might have life in this new covenant and this new promise and better promise. For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Now that he has died as ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. In the case of a will, it is necessary, and he gets into a little bit of a side illustration here. Will and covenant are actually the same word. It's a play on words. It is necessary to prove that the death of the one who made it, because a will is in force only when somebody has died, it never takes effect while the one who made it is living. You know, I think my... I, keep mentioning to my father-in-law, I can't wait for his will to go into effect. He really appreciates that comment. Um, this is why even the first covenant was not put into effect without blood. When Moses had proclaimed every command of the law to all the people, he, he took the blood of calves together with water, sar- scarlet wool, and branches of hyssop, and sprinkled the scroll on all the people. He said, This is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you to keep. Man, that sounds like something we might have just done. This is the blood of the new covenant. In the same way, he sprinkled with the blood, verse 21, both the tabernacle and everything used in its ceremonies. In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Now, we have... You don't know it, but I think you actually take issue with that last statement. Without blood, there's no forgiveness. And here's what I mean by that. Have you ever in your walk, in your journey, said or felt like it's probably not too big of a deal? It's probably not too big of a deal. And the way I tend to say that in my own life is when it falls around the things that I have done wrong. Well, maybe it's not so bad, is it? 
why does God have this elaborate setup for the Israelites? God says in the Bible that it's not that he demands, like God does not desire sacrifice. He desires a willing and obedient heart. But this is what he has laid out, probably better than what we did. Why? And the argument is basically this. God wants the Israelites to always know that there are grave consequences to sin. And we don't like to hear that. We don't want to assume or think ever that our sin is so bad. Now, other people's sin, it's terrible. But mine, not so much, right? So I think that we take issue, I think that we take issue with this only that we don't want there to have to be blood necessary for forgiveness. But for God, he sees that blood is necessary so that we always, always know the gravest consequences of our sin and our brokenness and the harm that it does. I was thinking about the evil that was done to children in Zimbabwe that we heard about and the situation that they found themselves in, and that happens. That happens. Because people say of sin, oh, it's not so bad. We wonder where we end up when we find ourselves saying, oh, it must not be that bad. We have whitewashed sin. We have said it is not that big of a deal. And when we diminish sin, we diminish the cross. We diminish his love. We diminish what God is doing to redeem and save and reconcile. They go through all of this so that they can always know that sin is horrible and evil and corruptive and it destroys communities. It destroys families. It destroys our lives. It hurts us. It causes suffering. And we need to know that sin is evil. It's not something to be taken sort of nonchalantly as it's nothing. Jesus knows that blood is necessary for forgiveness. The Hebrews preacher repeats it, blood is necessary for forgiveness. I've lost where I'm at in my text, I'm sorry. 23, thank you, sweetie. That's why I have her, guys. It was, never, it was necessary then for the cop, copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these sacrifices. But the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. Jesus is the better sacrifice. For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with human hands that was a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself now to appear for us in God's presence. He went through the first curtain. He went into the holy place. He went in past the second curtain and he went into the most holy of places with you on his heart, offering the world forgiveness of sins. The whole thing needed to be cleansed and it was cleansed with his blood so that you would be rescued and you would be saved. He did not enter heaven to offer himself again and again. That's what the priests would have to do. They'd have to go in again and again, over and over and over, year after year, day after day. 
Now, he did not offer himself again and again the way the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood that is not his own. Otherwise, Christ would have to have suffered many times since the creation of the world, but he has appeared once and for all and the culmination of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many, and, we, and he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. He's coming again, not to offer himself as a sacrifice, but to, to bring salvation, to bring forgiveness, to bring new life, to bring hope, to bring mercy, to bring love, to bring this new covenant and new life. This law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifice repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. Otherwise, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshipers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Wait a minute, so it's impossible for all of those actions to really, truly take away the sins. It just sort of cleansed them for the moment. It did nothing for their consciences. Therefore, and that's always important when we see therefore in, in the Bible, therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me with burnt offerings and sin offerings, you were not pleased then I said, here I am, it is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, my God. First, he said, sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, though they were offered in accordance with the law. Then he said, here I am, I have come to do your will. He sets aside the first to establish the second, and by that will we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ. And here it is again. Once and for all. Once and for all, Christ has forgiven you. Once and for all, you have life in his name. Once and for all, Christ has offered a sacrifice for us. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties again and again. He offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest had offered for all time, there it is again, one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be his footstool, for by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. This Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. First he says, this is the covenant I will make with them. After that, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. He requotes Jeremiah 31 from last week. And then he said, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. You have a new heart. You have an understanding of the will of God. And you have been forgiven of your sins. Where these sacrifices have been, where the, oh, I'm sorry, where, and where these have been forgiven, sacrifices of sin is no longer necessary. I know, we just covered an awful lot of text, and it was a lot of just visualization, wasn't it? 
when we consider this, do you have a greater appreciation for the sacrifice of Jesus? Did you maybe show up to church today not necessarily thinking about, gee, do I have access to the sanctuary today? I didn't sacrifice a bull before I showed up. I don't know what Mike and Rich did. I mean, they could have taken a cow to the slaughter, a steer to the slaughter, sorry. Right. Uh, I learned that lesson. Thanks for laughing, Corey. The only one who caught it, maybe. All right, anyways. I derailed. But that sacrifice of Christ has given you a new heart with a new a new understanding of God and forgiveness of sins. You can come today, however your week went, the last week, whatever you've done and however you've shown up, you have a new heart in Christ. And there is something significant about this, and I want to share with you that if you're carrying around the guilt of sin, this message is about that guilt. This message is about the forgiveness that you have in Christ Jesus, that he no longer remembers your sin. And I know it's hard. I know it's hard to push those things away, and there's mistakes that we've made, and there's things that we've said, things that blur out of our mouth that we're just like, well, I wish that could come back. What's really nice on Facebook is that there is a delete button. Like, I'll type something out, and I'll be like, no, shouldn't do that. I don't have that in real life. Tim, you know, <laughs> he's red-faced, and he can take that joke, I'm sorry. Uh, but we've all been there. And I've spoken of trivial things, but we know of the terrible things. And we carry around this guilt, and I just want you to know the message today is that guilt and that shame and that thing that has made you feel like you don't have a place in the world. You don't have a purpose in the world. That you aren't loved. You couldn't be lovable. That there's nothing good about you. All of the weight of that guilt and all of that shame and everything that the world projects on you, everything that you feel like the world projects on you, everything about that sin was taken before God through the outside at the altar of the cross through the first curtain on into the second curtain and into the most holy place in heaven itself and Christ Jesus sought forgiveness for you you are forgiven and you are loved in Christ therefore brothers and sisters since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, open for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from guilty consciences and having our bodies washed with pure water. And let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. He is faithful. 
And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. And not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. But encouraging one another all the more as we see the day approaching. Now that's a sermon. We would not give up the hope that we have. That we would trust in the one whose promises are true and he is faithful and good. It's curious to me that he says what every preacher has been saying for the last year. People, stop me. Come back. Come back to church. Don't give up on meeting together. What's his heart behind that? It's not based out of some insecurity in the local minister. It's the whole point of our gathering. It's everything that we've done this morning. It's remembering that this Jesus laid down his life and he's offered forgiveness. And you know what? I want to surround myself with people who remember that daily. I want to surround myself with people and on the beginning of my week, I want to gather together with believers who recognize and honor and glorify God for what he has done to reconcile us back to him. We talked about what Old Testament worship looked like. Well, New Testament worship looks like this. It's gathering together in the name of Christ. It's remembering and honoring him through our prayers and praises. It's gathering together around the Lord's Supper and remembering the sacrifice of Christ. And centering our lives on the word of God and his scripture, reminding us again and again of the good news of the hope of Jesus Christ. That you were lost and now you're saved. That there is one who has sought you and saved you. You are redeemed and forgiven. So don't give up your hope. Remember the one who has promised is faithful. Encourage one another daily. Don't give up on meeting together. It must have caught on because think of how long churches have been gathering weekly. That there is something about coming together to worship the risen, redeeming Savior of the world. So don't give up. Encourage one another. And let's continue to meet together in the name of Christ. All that's to say is come back next week. Let's pray. God, thank you for redeeming us. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for going through impossible means to redeem and save all of your creation. Lord, you have come to save and rescue us. You have come to redeem us, your children. And so, Lord, we come to you now and we open our hearts to you now that we we would have the guilt that weighs heavy on our heart, Lord, that we would seek forgiveness and reconciliation with you. Lord, that we would know that there is forgiveness. We would know that you remember our failures no more. And we ask, God, that you would lift the guilt and the shame so that, we could re- that you would rewrite our stories. Lord, the most powerful testimony is how you speak into our brokenness and heal us, and we can tell of the story, the, st- the story of your love and your grace for us in each day. 
And so, Lord, as we, as we come to you now in prayer, we do not take for granted that we can speak to you now through your Son, Jesus Christ. That he is seated there. The work is done. The better sacrifice has been made. Lord, that you're the blood that has washed us and cleansed us has done so eternally and has done so completely. So we draw near to you, God, and we don't take that for granted. Press upon our hearts and our minds now, God, what it is that we need to hear and know. Who do we need to love? How do we need to love? How do we follow you? Lord, help us to know you and your will and your desires. And for all the times we have fallen short of that, Lord, we offer them to you. We confess them to you now. We repent, Lord, and we turn to you for life in your kingdom. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.